Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. We're celebrating Easter Sunday here at Bethany Community Church. And sharing the message today, we have Pastor Phil McCutcheon. So today, I want to talk to you not about so much about what happened, but why it happened. We all know what happened. Charles Coulson of Watergate fame, if you don't know about Watergate, that's just a little a break-in that the Richard Nixon and the Republican Party tried to do with the Democrat headquarters it was the Watergate office complex, and so they hired five burglars, they should have been called bunglers, who broke into the Democratic headquarters and tried to steal information. So it seems like kind of a pathetic little crime uh, with all that's going on these days. But uh, anyway, uh, President Nixon got in trouble. Charles Colson was the uh, architect and the leader of that ill-fated venture. Later, it was to become a Christian when he met Tom Phillips of uh, Raytheon right here in Boston. Imagine someone finding Christ uh, because of a CEO in Boston who led Charles Colson to Christ. But Charles Colson said, I believe in the resurrection because of Watergate. He said, because a dozen men followed Christ and, and, and told the story and, and, and claimed that they saw the risen Lord and they suffered and, and were abused and killed for 40 years, continually, with, with the message that Jesus had risen from the dead. He said, 12 highly empowered men in the government could not hold a lie for three weeks. And those men helped the story for 40 years. So he said, I believe in the resurrection. So we're not here today to talk about what happened we're here to talk about why. And I'm going to call this message, It's All About You. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's all about you. Isaiah chapter 53 says, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many and at least in your mind, circle the word descendants. He will have many descendants. That's people. That's yous and me's. He will enjoy a long life, and the, Lord, and the good, Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that he has comp- accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied, and because of experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many, circle many, to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. It was about people that Jesus suffered, died, was buried, and rose again. It was all about you. You ever want something really bad in your life? Maybe it was a person. Maybe it was a purchase. Something you wanted really bad. And so bad you had to have it. And so bad that you were willing to do whatever it took to get it. Uh, when I was, uh, I was nine years old, and my parents didn't have 
a lot of money. So when it came to sports or anything like that, I never went to my parents and said, uh, will you buy me this or will you pay my registration fee for soccer or whatever. I mean, nothing like my kids and most of your kids have had it, right? Um, I would say we were so poor that, that the poor people thought we were poor. That's how poor we were. <laughs> and so one day, I meant that we had, a, we, we had a hardware store downtown that also sold other things besides hardware, and they sold baseball clubs. And I wanted to play baseball that summer, so I saw this baseball club, but I had to have it. I just had to have it, but I had no money, and I couldn't go to my dad, and I knew my dad wasn't going to buy it for me, my mother wasn't going to buy it for me. So I go to the guy behind the counter, I don't know if he's a manager or whatever he was, and I, I told him, I said, I'd like to buy that glove, but I don't have the money. I said, could I pay it out? And he said, sure. And so I took that guy 50 cents a week. It wasn't this actual glove. I mean, that would be cool if I still had that glove, wouldn't it? I, I took that 50 cents a week for I don't know how many weeks until I was able to buy that glove, and, and I, so I played baseball that, that summer, and uh, the, the highlight, the highlight of that, that I, I, this is, has nothing to do with the sermon, it's just, it's just interesting, and I like to talk about interesting things, um, and um, it, it, now the, you will not relate to this in the 21st century, this was the 20th century, by the way, <laughs> I lived in the 20th century, and so this is a, this is the 20th century when you could go to school and get a paddling. I don't know if any of you ever went to a school like that where they could paddle you. And so I had a third grade teacher that we didn't like each other very much. And uh, uh, No, I'm sorry, it was sixth grade teacher. Sixth grade teacher, we, she and I didn't like each other. And she, in fact, one day I had gotten a fight in the boys' bathroom and she had given me a paddling with a wooden paddle. And so the highlight of my, my, that summer was hitting a triple and hearing that teacher scream, go Phil. So that was just a, that was a pretty good story, right? <laughs> so I wanted something so bad, I found a way. I found a way to get it. Now, I want to say something that I don't think some of you thought about. I really don't, even though it's pretty simple. I don't think some of you have really thought about the fact that God wanted you that bad. That he was going to find a way to get into your life and to get your attention. And he was going to find a way to have a relationship with you, even though you had no interest in it. Should we just give the altar call now? Right? Are you ready to become a Christian? Are you ready to start following Jesus? To think that God loves you that much at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, there's a problem when you want something too much. It's not good to want something too much. If you go into a car dealership and that salesman knows that you want that car, you're dead. You're not going to get a good deal if he figures out that you've got to have that car. You lose your bargaining power when you have to have something. When you, when you fall in love with somebody and you got to have them, they've got you. <laughs> it's called, psychologists call it the law of least interest. The person who's least interested has the most power. 
And some of you are shaking your head over here. You know what happened, man. <laughs> this man of his brother, he knows what happened when he had to have her. <laughs> he had no more. He was powerless. Now, can you get your brain around God looking down at you and saying, I've got to have them. I've got to be with them. I'm attracted to them. I want them. That's what the story, that's what, that's what this story, why, why do you think they call it the passion of the Christ? What do you think the passion of the Christ is? That he, that he wanted a piece of dirt? You know, that he wanted, a, he wanted some real estate? No, he wanted you. This will, this will change your life if you get your brain around this. It's like opposite day in the celebrity fan culture. You know where's celebrity fan culture where you, you pay $500 for a concert ticket and then you drive into Boston traffic and you, you get a parking space finally and you take a, it takes you an hour and a half, two hours to get parked and you're going to pay $40 to park and then you're going to go stand in the line outside for 45 minutes to get into the place and you've paid an extra $200 to have a VIP photo op where, the, where your celebrity, gets, you get to have your picture with them and say hi to them. You know, you just become an idiot. <laughs> and you're sitting out there. I, 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 watched a, I watched a little bit of a concert the other day, and, and it's Carrie Underwood and Vince Gill, and, and, and this, this girl is screaming, I love you, Carrie! Well, the, the incarnation of Christ was opposite week. The, the, the passion of the Christ week was opposite week. This week was opposite week. It was God. It was the celebrity saying, I'm going to stand in line and pay $1,000 to get to see you, to get to be around you. And a lot of you were so disinterested in God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, pay, you wouldn't give a dollar. You wouldn't give 100 bucks to go see Jesus. But he gave his life to see you. That's what the sermon's about today. That's what the resurrection's about. It's all about you. God decided you're worth suffering for. Number one, Hebrews 9.12, he also bypassed the sacrifice consisting of goat and calf blood instead using his own blood as the price to set us free once and for all. Though the Spirit, through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us with the personal pronoun, not freeing it, the, the thing, the, the possession, us from all those dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable. Where do you get your self-esteem? That's the question I want to ask you today. I want to, I want to entice you, if I can, into having a relationship with this God and having a love relationship with this Jesus. And maybe I can offer you this, and maybe I can talk to you about this, ask you now, where do you get your self-esteem. Psychologists are saying people who base their self-worth on other human beings and not on their own intrinsic value are doing themselves physical and mental harm. That's what they're saying today. Students were surveyed recently about where they got their self-esteem and 80% said they got it from academic competence and 77 their family support and 60% doing better than others. Well, that'll, that'll, that'll mess you up. 70% of the women said it was their appearance. 
I'm telling you, that's a bad path to go down. Self-harm, people who don't have a stable, correct source of their own self-esteem, do self-harm, they get involved in codependent relationships, they, they become rageaholics, and most tragic, they begin to have a hatred of life itself. I'm telling you, you are on dangerous ground if you're feeling small, rejected, and bitter. You better come to Jesus today. If you're in this room and you're feeling small and rejected and bitter and resentful of life, Dylan Claybowl wrote in his journal, that's the Columbine killer, Dylan Claybowl and his friend Eric Harris. Yesterday was the 20th anniversary of Columbine. Can you believe it? But he wrote in his journal, I'm full of love and nobody wants it. Before he went and did the deed, 30 minutes before he made a video, and he said, hey, mom, got to go. It's about a half an hour before our little judgment day. What was he judging? He was judging humanity for his rejection. I understand that the, 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 the fellow who threw the little boy off the third level of the Mall of America said, I've been to this mall over and over, tried to pick up women, and they've all rejected me. I had to go kill somebody. I'm telling you, it's a dangerous thing not to know how valuable you are. It's a dangerous thing, and, it is, and, and it's, uh, it's almost an impossible task to try to get the human race to cooperate in, in, in affirming your value. As wonderful as I am, I can't do it. I, I can't get, I can't get the, the little group of people called my family to cooperate in consistently affirming how valuable I am. <laughs> it is a hopeless cause. But on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. How I love that old cross where the dearest and best of a world of lost sinners was slain. Paul said, the apostle Paul said, I will glory in the cross. Do you understand what that means, sir? Ma'am, do you understand what that means? Teenager, do you understand what that means? I will glory in the cross. It means I will get my self-esteem from what happened at Golgotha 2,000 years ago. It, whenever I'm wondering if I'm worthy, whenever I'm wondering if I'm any good, whenever I'm wondering if I, if I have a chance, whenever I'm wondering if there's a plan for my life that could be meaningful, whenever I'm wondering if I'm going to ever amount to anything, whenever I'm wondering if I have any future, whenever I'm wondering if anybody cares... I need to go to that cross and see that the best that the world ever saw got crucified there with me in mind. Amen. Yeah, it's okay to feel good about your performance. 
you should try to do good work. I believe that's part of the evidence that you are a Christian, that you try to do good work, that you do try to repay God, even though you know you can't. You try to do good work. Way back in the Old Testament, Solomon said, nothing is better than a man should rejoice in his own work. But rejoicing in your work is not the same as working for your worth. I said, rejoicing in your work is not the same as working for your worth. It's not the same. Lest any man should boast, Paul said. He said, I'm, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by grace. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by grace, lest any man should boast. You know? I... I <laughs> I had to apologize three times this week for not doing good enough work. Three times. It was, it was hard. Three times I had to tell people, I'm sorry. I let you down. I mean, I mean I'm getting on the elevator. And there's a, a family that had left the church a while back. And I never called them. And, and, and so, God, why not have to get on? I saw them getting on the elevator. And I'm getting mad. I... I'm trapped. <laughs> and I just had to look this lady in the eye and say, I'm sorry. I, for, I didn't call you. And I apologize for that. I had to send somebody a text. I, did, I didn't lead well today, one, one day last week. Boy, I better find, I better find some place that affirms me besides me. Remember the, 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 the picture of Archimedes lifting the world with the, with the uh, what do you call that thing? A lever. With a lever. Anybody know what I'm talking about? That, that, you ever see that image of Archimedes lifting the world? He, he had to get outside the world in order to lift it. <laughs> what, so what's your point, Pastor Phil? My point is, if we are going to realize our value and our worth, we've got to have someone outside of this world greater than us who's able to shout into our world, you are worthy. You are worthy. What a powerful message. You know, the Lord said this thing, and I love it, in John 15, because it affirms this message, and it's just so powerful that until I decided to preach on this, I didn't think about it. I read this verse a thousand times, you know, a hundred more. But it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. When I read John 15, 16, you did not choose me. Oh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit that will last. Has that sunk into you yet that you didn't choose God? That you didn't choose Jesus, but Jesus chose you? You weren't interested in him. You weren't interested in knowing your creator, but your creator was interested in knowing you. You weren't interested in being a part of his world, but he was interested in being a part of your world. A lot of you remember those times when, when you were totally okay without God in your world and Jesus in your world. It was your world and you were totally okay. You weren't, you know, if I just said, are you happy? You'd say, Shh, but I'm happy. 
I'm doing what I want to do. I'm talking about when it was going well. I mean, I don't, I mean before the crash. I mean, be, I mean before everything fell apart. I mean be, before you got sick of doing things your way. I mean when it was, when it was going well. And, and th- that used to be how we would try to sh- witness to people. We'd say, are you happy? And, and we, we thought, you know, I, I remember uh, my, my brother became a friend of a guy who sang backup for, for Elvis Presley. It was a part of a group called the Imperials that went to Vegas and all these places with Elvis. And, and one day he was, his name was Sherman Andrus, and one day Sherman was joking around and, and he's talking about all the stuff that these people have and, and all the opulent life he lived. But he said, yes, but are they happy? And then he goes, yes, you're darn right they're happy. <laughs> as long as things are going well, you're not thinking, oh, poor God up there, he's all alone. I should share some of this with him. I should give some money to the church. I should, I should care. No, no. It's when everything falls apart and your marriage falls apart and, and you've had to file bankruptcy and you say, God, are you up there? <laughs> no, you didn't choose God. He chose you. God chose you. You know, I have this weird habit of driving around and, and especially if I go into Boston or Providence, you know, and I look at the tall buildings, the skyscrapers, and this is weird, and you, you can, say, you can t- say it's weird if you want. Um, I look at those buildings, and I think, I'd like to own that building. I'd like to own a big commercial building like that. Now, I don't know, I don't know what I would do with it, but, but, but I drive by the Prudential. I drive by the, I drive the, Re- I like the Reebok building, you know, that looks like a ship. I, think, I, I would like to own that building. God looks... God looks at this world and all of its opulence. God looks at that building and looks through the walls to the people that are in the cubicles and the offices and the maintenance rooms and the maintenance staff and the CEO in the corner office. And God doesn't care about the building. He says, I want to know them. I want to know them. I want to be a part of their life. I want, to sh- I want to talk to them, and I want them to talk to me, and I want to love them, and I want them to love me back. I want to be their friend, and I want them to be my friend. I want, that's what I want. I don't care about the buildings, and I don't care about the stuff. By the way, where I live, the streets are made of gold, so I really don't need to own another building. I love humanity. It's all about you. God decided you were worth suffering for. And God decided, number two, that he would take the risk that you might never love him back. You ever think about that? When Jesus went to the cross, he took the risk that there might not be anybody that would even care. Ever wonder why you're on earth? The answer is 2 Corinthians 1.9. For God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Christ Jesus. God bet everything. If he was a gambler, he was betting the house that you would love him back. But he, had, he took the complete risk that you might not love him back. There are two words. I love these two words. It explains the mystery of God's love and settles the argument 
of whether he is a God of love or a God of force. You see, God had to make a choice. He's going to be a God of force or a God of love. I, I will guarantee you, if I would have been in God's shoes, if I would have been in God, I would have pulled out the tanks and the, F, and the, you know, the F-16 fighter jets and the smart bombs, and I would, have, I would have made my first order of business to get rid of the resistance. It would have been... It would have been a shock and awe campaign if I was in charge. I would have used force. I would try to eliminate all the people that didn't like me and all the people who resisted me, so I'm left with the, those who honored me properly. God had no interest in force. He only cared about love. He said, this kingdom can only be built on love. And he used two words, and their words are found several places, actually 13 times in the scripture. He says this, whosoever will. Whosoever, think about that. Think about that. Think about whosoever will. Okay, I've got this opportunity. Okay, after church, I'm going to serve dinner, I could say, or, or lunch. I'm going to serve lunch upstairs. Whosoever will may come. You must say, I don't like your cooking. I don't want to come. I'm busy. I'm letting everybody off the hook who doesn't want to come. I'm making myself vulnerable to those who want, only those who want to come. Whoever so, whosoever will is like saying, would you like what I'm offering? Whosoever will is like saying, do you want me? Whosoever will is a setup for rejection. There's actually a guy in this community, I guess he's still around, uh, we bought some carpet from him one time. I don't know why we did that, but we did. And his business card actually says, if you don't buy this from me, I will kill If you don't buy from me, I will kill you. <laughs> he thought that was cute. God says, whether you buy this from me or not, I'm going to let you kill me. Just, I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to bet the farm that you will love me back because I love you so much. I'm going all out. Whosoever will is asking, do you like what I have done for you? Whosoever will is questioning, it's God questioning, are you pleased with me? Now think about this. If this doesn't mess with your mind a little bit, then you're not listening to me. If this doesn't mess with you a little bit, you're not listening to me. That God is asking you if you are pleased with him. That's not right. I should be asking God if he's pleased with me. I should be asking God if he likes my offering. And God is putting his son on the cross and saying, do you like my offering? Whosoever will may come. Let him drink of the water of life freely. See, God wants you to know God wants you to know something, and, and, and this is so important. I hope you don't miss it, because this is really significant. God wants you to know, and this is what this literally means, because it's possible that Jesus would die on the cross and no one would love him. It's possible that Jesus would die on the cross and you would be the only one who would love him back. You, you would be the only one who would love him back. And so what this all means is that God is saying, Jesus is saying, I would have gone to the cross for only you. Turn to your neighbor and say, Jesus would have died for me. 
me alone. Man, man, that's powerful. Finally, number three, God knows that you, now, now this, God, I, I want you to get this. I didn't use the word feel or think. I'm using the word know. And, 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 and if you begin to know what God knows, it will change your life. Even if you're already a Christian, because some people are already Christians, but they don't know. They don't know what I'm preaching this morning. They don't know it at the deepest level of their being. But if you begin to know it at the deepest level of your being, I know that half the problems I've had in my life and half the failures that I've had in my life is from me not knowing who I was in the eyes of God. I said, I believe half the problems at least that I've had in my life and half the problems that I've caused other people is I was trying to get them to do what only God could do for me and what God had already done for me. It's a finished work. <laughs> he said, it's finished. And when he says it's finished, you better not try to add anything to it because it's finished. It's a finished work that Jesus did on the cross. And uh, God knows that you are the best thing that earth has to offer. Remember that said, use the illustration of the buildings and and, 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 I, and I, 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 I worked hard to get a glove. Well, God looks past the stuff because he could have all that. Like I said, where he lives, the streets are gold. God looks past all the stuff and all the opportunity for positions and all the things that we strive for and says, no, I, I don't need any of that. I got plenty of that in heaven. I got, I got plenty of that in heaven. I got plenty of power. I got plenty of possessions. I got, I got plenty of pleasure. What I don't have, what I don't have is Carol Drew. I don't have Scott Pfeffer. I don't have Steve Johnson. I don't have them. They're the best thing that earth has to offer. Just tell your neighbor, I'm the best thing that earth has to offer. Just tell them right now. See, see, religion, religion tends to tell us how to become attractive to God. That's what we tend to do in religion. If you will do this and this and this and this, then you, might be, then you would be attractive to God. If you would give and if you would give, serve and, and all that stuff. Now, now that, that has its place. It's called discipleship. That has its place. But if we're, if we're not careful, we send the wrong message. We don't understand that you are attractive to God already. What is man that you're mindful of him? Psalms 8, 4 says, The son of man that you care for him, you made him a little lower. The angels, the heavenly beings, and crowned him with glory. You are attractive to God. And then over in Psalms 139, he says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. But you said, wait a minute. I, I thought the Lord said, the Bible says, we're sinners. Well, being a sinner, that identity of sinner has to do with your behavior. Uh, see, a lot of times we, we have decided, okay, God looks at me, and I'm, he thinks I'm really ugly, but he is so magnanimous. 
He's so gracious and magnanimous that he looks past how unattractive I am and loves me anyway. But that's not what that scripture just taught you. Those two scriptures I just read you, that's not what they say. They do not say that you're really undesirable and that God has, God has to close his eyes in order to be around you and he has to hold his nose in order to be around you. That's not what that scripture teaches. That scripture teaches that you are beautiful in the eyes of God. That scripture teaches that God can hardly take his eyes off of you. You are so pretty and you're so beautiful in his eyes. That yes, you are sinful. That, what, what does sin mean? Sin means to miss the mark. That, sin means to separate yourself from God. Those are behaviors. That's not who you are. That's not your identity. That's not what you look like. I'm telling you, when God looks down from heaven and sees you, he says, you're looking good. I thought you would say amen on that one. Some of you haven't had anybody tell you you look good in a while. But I'm telling you today that God looks at you and he likes what he sees. He is attracted to you. In fact, the Bible says 13 times that we are the apple of God's eye. Now, think about that. What, what, about, what does that mean? The apple, that's your pupil. That's the center of being. That's the part of you that you will reflexively protect. You will reflexively protect the apple of your eye. God looks at you and says, I want to protect them. They are valuable. You know, you know I've, got, I've got things that are junk that I throw out in the garage. Then I've got other things that I put up in a cabinet. I've got other things that I put away. And if I had something really valuable, I'd go down to the bank and I'd put it in a safety deposit box. Because I don't want anybody to touch it. That's how God looks at you. God wants to put you in the safety deposit box because he wants to save you. I said he wants to save you. The church talks about getting saved. Well, do you even know what that means? If God wants to save you, that means he must be infatuated with you. He didn't, he didn't send his son to down the cross for something he didn't really want that much that he had to hold his nose in order to be around it. No, God is in love with you. Jesus said that your soul is worth more than the rest of the world because he said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? You're worth more than the whole world. You don't get it because you're chasing the whole world. You want the world. You want to fill your life with the world. And God says, well, what kind of dummy are you? The world is not even worth anything. You're worth more than the world. If, if you were smart, you would invest your life in changing the lives of other people. You would care about people. You would love people. If you were as smart as me, that's what God is saying. If you understood like I understood, you'd want to fill your life with people and that stuff. Because people are beautiful and valuable and worthy. And they're the only thing Jesus died for. I've already made the point that the Lord doesn't care about power. In fact, you know power. Psychologists tell us that they have an actual name. I didn't know this until I studied it. 
But excessive power striving is actually a personality disorder. And I, I want to quote, it is characterized by lack of empathy for people, indifference to the suffering of others, a remarkable cunning commitment to seizing and expanding power, ruthlessness in cultivating of power, scapegoating and projecting of blame onto others and groups, and an insistence on labeling others as lowly and worthless. Hope that doesn't describe someone you live with. <laughs> but it doesn't describe God. That's the point of today's sermon. It doesn't describe Jesus. Jesus does not have an excessive power-striving personality disorder. Jesus empowers you. Amen? It's like you bring that little baby into your house, right? They're so vulnerable, and you empower them. They can do no wrong they can keep you up all night. They can, you can spend your money on them and everything, and they rule the house. Because you're, you're just taken with them. If you're a good person, if you're a good person, you're just taken with them. Well, God's a good dude as well. You know what I mean? God's a good God. So he looks at you, and he just, he, just wants, he just wants to hold you, and he just wants to exalt you, and he just wants to bless you, and he just wants you to be happy, and he wants, you to, he wants to lift you up in life, and he wants to give you a good life. He just is crazy about you. Listen to what he said about power. They're going to kill him, right? And he says this. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. You know, 12 legions of angels is a minimum of 72,000 angels. I would say that he didn't have a problem with power. He had all the power he needed. In spite of that, he wanted you. I mean, somebody ought, to be, somebody ought to be happy right now. Somebody ought to be saying praise the Lord in this house. Amen. Amen. I want to conclude. The salvation story makes no sense unless you know that God is insanely in love with you and hoping against hope that you won't turn him down. You know what every lover hates to hear? Every lover hates to hear these words. Let's just be friends. <laughs> Some of you, the only thing standing between you and being saved, born again, filled with the Spirit, a child of God, is you're saying to God, after He's done all this for you, you're saying, let's just be friends. Let's be, be friends. I'll see you Christmas. <laughs> so, somebody got that. But how about today? How about instead of saying, let's just be friends, you know what you really want to hear if you're a lover? You know what you want to hear? I love you too. And I want to be with you forever. I'm yours. That's what you want to hear. And that's what will that's complete this circle that I preached about this morning. 
You say, well, I, I can't love God as much as he loves me. Oh, he knows that. He knows that. I, I know my kids cannot love me as much as I love them. They're not, they can't do it. They never will. They love me, but they don't love me as much as I love them. God's not asking you to compete with him. He's asking, now listen to this. This is really important. This is really important. You can make a t-shirt out of this. God's not asking you to compete with him. He's asking you to complete him. I said, God's not asking you to compete with him. He's asking you to complete him. He feels incomplete without you. He knows you will love him unskillfully and competently the way a child loves his parents. But you can't be saved unless you respond today. We're going to sing a song, and we're going to come back, and we're going to serve communion. And I want you to—I'm worried that some of you won't take communion because you're not saved. You're not a Christian. Well, as easy as taking that element and putting it in your mouth and eating it, and as easy as taking that symbol, we're going to pass it out to you today. As easy as drinking the symbol of Christ's blood, that's how easy it is for you to become in love with Jesus. That's how easy it is to make the transaction. I want to ask our ushers to pass out the communion elements. And uh, th this is a little bit tricky. These are, uh, have, they have a little cover on top and you have to bend the tab down and then pull it up to get the, uh, the host out, the bread. And so um, I'm going to give you a minute to do that, to get ready, to get, get, the, uh, get the host out and so you're ready to partake. But if you're here today and you haven't made that decision to become a follower of Jesus Christ, to belong to him, you have to say yes. You have to, you have to say yes. It's really hard. you just got to say yes. Okay, can everybody, let's all, try, let's all practice it together. Say yes. On the count of three. One, two, three. Yes. Now, can you can you pull that up? Yes, Lord, I accept. I receive you, and I I know you've accepted me. And take my life, Lord. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my sins. I know I've sinned. I've fallen short of your glory. But I know, I know that that's not who I am. That's the, that's what I did. But I I'm your child. So, so I want you to do that, and, and, and when we receive communion in a minute, I'm going to pray a quick prayer, and uh, let you just, you don't have to pray it out loud, you just pray it in your mind, or pray it out loud if you want to. I'm going to pray a quick prayer, and uh, you just pray something like this, okay? Father, I come to you, I am away from you, and I'm distant from you, but I want to be close, and I want to accept what you did on the cross, and I want to, I want to become a believer today. And I just want to rest my self-esteem and my self-worth, my personality, and my future and my past. I want to rest it on you. And I want to trust that what you did on the cross will be the thing that will forgive any shame in my past and will assure the absolute surety, positive confidence that my eternal future is now all set. 
I receive you in Jesus' name. Amen.